So our, our reading, our actual reading this morning is fairly short. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. And I want to point out uh, that if you are an astute Bible scholar, I want you to point out that you will immediately notice that Ephesians chapter 6 comes right after Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I say that for two reasons. The first is especially as a reminder to my children, because after any number of conversations that we have had this past week, on any given week, it might be tempting for them to observe that I am very conveniently choosing this passage. I said, Dad, I see what you're doing. Decide to preach on this obey your parents passage. It's very convenient choosing this passage. To which I'd say, I only decided to preach on this text today because three years ago I decided to preach through the book of Ephesians two chapters at a time through each of three falls in a row. And this fall, Ephesians 5 and 6. So now, having worked through Ephesians 1 to 5, the next place we have to go is Ephesians chapter 6. And so to my children, I offer this disclaimer, any resemblance of this sermon to any specific incident, conversation, or occasion in the last week is unintended and purely coincidental. That's one reason why it's important for us to remember that Ephesians 6 comes right after Ephesians 5. The other reason, and this is for all of us, is to remember that Ephesians 6 follows Ephesians 5 because we, un- we need to understand the context. When I read Ephesians 6, 1 to 4 in just a minute, I'm going to do just what I did last week, and I'm going to go back to Ephesians 5, verses 18 to 21, because we need to remember that Paul, in this portion of the letter here, is in the middle of a larger discussion about what a Spirit-filled life looks like. What it means to have the Holy Spirit working inside you. What are the evidences of that? What does that look like when that's happening? And in what, what I'm going to read to you from Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, is, is, is what it says. The evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is seen when you're praising and when you're worshiping God. When you're singing to Him and singing to, other, to others about what God has done. When you're filled with gratitude and thanksgiving in everything that you do. And then in verse 21, he says, when you're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then from that point forward, through the middle of chapter 6, he gives three examples of different relationships where this submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ as an evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, three relationships where that is clearly seen. The first, we talked about last week, the relationship between a husband and wife. This week, today, we're going to look at the relationship between a parent and children. So if you're able with that kind of introduction, let me ask you to stand as I read God's Word. I'm going to start with Ephesians 5, those verses, then I'll get to the text for this week, and then I'll make the declaration that this is the Word of the Lord and invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, this is our running start. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, today's passage, jump to Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So on Friday, I texted a friend and I said, please pray for me because I don't know if I've ever felt more inadequate, more unqualified to preach on a text than this one that I just read to you. 
I thought about it a little bit more, and there's probably a lot more texts where I'm equally unqualified and equally inadequate. And yet there is something, a real sense in which this text makes me, as a father, particularly uncomfortable, and therefore as a preacher, because as challenging as many areas of, the, of life might be, there is nothing that is more challenging, nothing more revealing I have found in my own life, no revealing of my own weaknesses and flaws than parenting. And yet here we are, Ephesians chapter 6, so what do I do? Well, thankfully, if I'm preaching rightly, I'm not giving you any advice that comes from me. I don't want to give any advice about parenting that comes from me. That's my children. They might not want you to, me to give you any advice that comes from me. But I am trying, and I hope to do, what I hope to do is simply explain to you what the Bible teaches. So let's do that. That's better. That's more, more my job anyway. Let's see together what the Bible teaches. And what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, is that the glory and the goodness of God are clearly seen when the relationship between children and their parents works as he designed and as he intends. He's saying that the evidence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a child in a Christian home is that they obey and they honor their parents. And he's saying that the evidence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a parent, specifically calling out fathers actually, but the evidence of the Holy Spirit is evident in the life of a parent when they are loving, disciplining, and instructing their children. And he does that by speaking directly to those two groups of people. He speaks first to the children, and then he speaks to the parents. And so that's what I'm going to do. I want to talk first to the children and then to the parents. First, let's talk to the children. And I, I am specifically, I really do want to talk directly to the children, to those who would find themselves in the homes of their parents under their parents' authority. You're not grown. You're not on your own. You're living at home. Someone else has responsibility for you. I want to talk to the children, which is actually pretty, pretty amazing when you think about it, even as a place to start. Because did you know, children, that in the ancient world where Paul was living at the time when he wrote this, in ancient Rome when he wrote this letter, children were not really treated as people. They weren't. At least not complete people, not total people they weren't. Paul, in writing this letter, is talking to the children. And it's amazing that he's talking directly to children as it was when Jesus invited the children to come to him and Jesus talked to the children. That made all of Jesus' friends really confused when Jesus talked directly to children. Because when you were an important teacher, they thought, you didn't talk to children, you talked to their parents. You talked to adults, you talked to big people. You didn't talk directly to children. But that's not what Jesus did, and that's not what Paul is doing here either. Paul is talking directly to the children. He's not talking to the parents about the children. Usually, when Paul writes a letter to a church, which is what this letter to the Ephesians is, it's a letter to a church, what would happen, kids, is that letter would be received by the church, and then they would read it with everyone there. They would read it out loud. When the church got together on Sunday like this for worship, they would say, we got, in a, letter, we got a letter from the apostle." And someone was going to teach on something, but this is even more important. We're going to read the letter from the apostle today. We're going to read Paul's letter. And so Paul, it seems, understood that when the church got together, there were kids there. Because he's writing to the children and he speaks directly to them. He doesn't say, hey parents, later when you get home and you pick up your kids from the babysitter, tell them what I'm going to say. That's not what he says. He says, children and he speaks directly to them. So I'm telling you this because Paul would want you to know that I'm glad you're here. It's not an accident. You're supposed to be here. 
It's expected that you're, that you're here. Paul wants you to know what it means, not just for adults, but for children, to show that they love God. And this is what Paul says. He tells you to obey. He tells you to honor your parents. And then he gives you a promise. Tells you obey your parents, honor your parents, and then he gives you a promise. That's what he's saying to you kids. First thing he says is to obey your parents. That's what it says in verse 1. Children, talking directly to you, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, what does it mean to obey? That's a pretty strong word, actually, that Paul uses here. It's the same word in our Bible that talks in other places about obeying Jesus, obedience to Christ. It's the same word. So it's that kind of obey, just like we would obey Jesus. Paul wrote his letter in Greek. You probably knew that. You might have known that. Maybe you didn't know that, but that's what he wrote his letter in. He didn't write it in English. He wrote the letter in Greek. And the Greek word that he uses for this word obey It it literally means to listen underneath, to listen as you're under something. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that not only that we hear what our parents say, but we place ourselves under what our parents say. We listen and we obey. Now, it also says here to honor your parents. That's what it says in verse 2. Honor your father and your mother. Not just your father, not just your mother. Your father and your mother. And if you look in your Bibles... At the beginning of verse 2, you'll see that when it says, honor your father and mother, it's in quotes, which means that Paul, when he writes this letter, is quoting something else. What's he quoting? He's quoting the fifth commandment. Remember the Ten Commandments? Those were the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses to give to the people of Israel. He said, this is how you're to understand God, and this is how you're to understand how you relate to other people. And the fifth of those was this one, honor your father and mother. So Paul's not making it up here when he says this. He's quoting the Bible himself. He's quoting the Old Testament. And honoring your parents is actually something that continues even after you're grown. Showing them respect, honoring them. But for you, for right now, for children who are still living in their parents' homes, we honor them by obeying them. Now, some of your children are going to be lawyers someday. And you will say, do I really have to obey everything that my parents tell me to do? And the answer is, kids, yes, almost. In other words, it does say, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, one of the things that that means when it says, obey your, children, or your parents in the Lord, one of the things that means is that you should obey your parents in everything unless they tell you to do something that God would tell you is wrong. If your parents tell you to do something that, is, that, that God says is wrong, well then yes, then you shouldn't obey. Now that happens only in extreme situations, but it does happen. Kids, some of your moms might be reading a book for the ladies' book club that's going to meet on Wednesday night. It's a book about a little boy who grew up in New York City and had a very, very hard childhood. And his mom had all kinds of problems, and his mom sometimes was not a very good mom. And his mom, at one point in his life, actually told him to go and beg on the streets so that she could get him money that she could then go and use and buy drugs. Now, that's something that God commands us not to do, to to, to abuse our bodies in that way or help someone else. That's that's a command. That's something that a mother would be telling a child that, that you don't have an obligation to obey. So you see, there are some instances where there is, there, there is that room, but... In everything else, in everything else, if your parents aren't asking you to do something that the Bible tells you is wrong, then you are to obey them. And you come back and say, everything else? Yeah, everything else. And you say, what if I don't like that? Well, it doesn't seem that the 
Apostle Paul, in quoting the fifth commandment, is saying that it's up to you to like it or not. Now, you say, what if I, what if I know a better way than my parents? Well, you might. Got to tell you, we parents are not perfect, and there's times where it is appropriate, respectfully, maybe to ask your parents a question about why they're doing what they're doing, or to even, particularly as you get older, maybe suggest other ideas about things that should be considered, right? There's nothing wrong with that, but the idea of obedience is whatever your parents then decide after they've considered and heard what you've said, you accept, and you accept it even if you don't understand it. Because you trust that God must know what He's doing by telling you to obey your parents. Now, kids, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, God must not have known my parents. Because if God really knew my parents, He wouldn't possibly tell me to obey them all the time because my parents can be pretty stupid sometimes. That's what you're thinking. Well, God does know your parents. And believe me, actually, however stupid you think your parents are, God knows they're even stupider. He does. It's true, as stupid as you think they are, they're even worse. But God doesn't tell you to obey your parents because you believe your parents always know, always know what they're doing. God tells you to obey your parents because you should believe that God always knows what He's doing. That's the other thing it means to obey when it says, obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents because you're trusting not just really in your parents, but ultimately because you're trusting in God. Because it says in verse 1, this is right. Now, some of you might still say, okay, but a lot of what my parents tell me to do still just doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't always make sense. I, shouldn't I understand? Shouldn't I, shouldn't I actually agree with them? Why, why would God tell me to do something that doesn't always make sense to me? And I just have to say, there will be times when that happens. Kids, there will be times when your parents will do something to you and you won't understand. And you might not understand for a very long time. But that doesn't mean that what you're being told to do isn't right. It just means that at that moment, you don't understand it. One of our children, as a newborn, became very rapidly and very seriously sick. And in the flurry of trying to figure out what was wrong, the doctors asked to do a spinal tap. Now, kids, a spinal tap is when they insert a needle into your back, into your spine, and they take out some of the fluid so they can test it for certain kinds of infections. And it's painful for the child, but it's also very painful, I can tell you as a parent, to watch your child screaming because you're making it happen to them. Because it hurts, and it makes no sense to them at the time at all. And you know as a parent that you have in that instant no way to explain to them in any way possible why what you're doing is actually for their good, why it's right. A child in a moment like that has no choice but to trust the parent. And that's hard, but that's what God is calling you to do. Trust your parents? Yes. But more than that, trust God. Because God is the one who is commanding it. And God knows what He is doing even when we're not sure what He's doing or why He's doing it. Now, that trusting can be hard, which is probably why in that fifth commandment, I told you God doesn't just tell you to honor your father and mother. He doesn't just tell you to obey your father and mother. He also gives you a promise. He says that it will go well with you when you obey. Might be hard to trust sometimes to trust that, but God does actually want it to go well with you. He wants the best for you. And He knows in the home of a Christian family with parents who love Him that what will make you safe, what will make you healthy, what will make you wise is to listen under them. 
to obey them with honor, with respect, because they're playing the role that God has given them to play. Kids, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to you. Now, to the parent. Interestingly, he actually specifically addresses the fathers, which can't mean that mothers have no role in parenting because he just very clearly, and counterculturally, I might add, put parents, mothers, and fathers on absolute equal footing when he told parents to obey and to honor them. But he is specifically calling out the, the fathers here. Why does he do that? Why does it, well, he's clearly telling the fathers that they have some sort of ultimate responsibility for the children in the in the home, which would run contrary to the assumption, sometimes in our age, certainly in the 20th century, where the responsibility of raising the child is solely or at least primarily thought to be the responsibility of the mother. That's what mothers do. They raise the children. I go out and I fight beasts and stuff. People say the Bible is an oppressive book towards women. That's nonsense. Men have forever been trying to get out of the responsibility to care for the children that they father. That's still true today, and in many ways, our culture makes that even harder. But the Bible says to Father, don't you dare do that to mothers. You need to stand up. You need to take responsibility for the raising of your children. What Paul is also saying here, though interestingly, on the other side, even as he gives that responsibility primarily to fathers, what he's also saying is he's also running against the Roman understanding of what being in charge would be like, because the Romans had a term for the rule of fathers in the home. It was called the the patria potestas, right? Father power. That's what it was. And it was absolute rule. Complete reign over the household. No restraint, no responsibility, no accountability. Complete and total power. Patria potestas. And that's not what Paul's saying either, right? Paul does. He talks very clearly about the responsibility involved here, the, the limits, the constraints, the rules that fathers and parents have as well. Look at the first part of verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, children, back to you for a second. This is a very interesting verse, isn't it? It's a pretty interesting verse here, right? You want to remember this one, right? My children may not believe this, but I remember very clearly as a teenager a time uh, when I was angry about the rules my parents had, right? They were making me angry, these rules that they were giving me, things they were telling me to do. And I don't remember what the rules were. I don't specifically remember what the issue was. But I remember thinking once that I had heard this verse. It was somewhere in the Bible. It's got to be there somewhere. Uh, that I heard this verse, that parents shouldn't make their children angry. And I found my Bible that I had gotten in sixth grade, and I started, I started searching all over the place. Now, I had no idea where to look. I mean, there was no Google. There was no Siri. There was no, uh, you know, online Bible that I could con- consult. There was no Alexa to ask. Right? And I wasn't smart enough to look in a concordance. We didn't have a concordance anyway, even if I was smart enough to look there. And so I'm paging through. Now keep in mind, there are 31,000 verses in the Bible. I was pretty sure it was in the New Testament. That narrows it down to about 8,000. So I'm paging through. I'm just looking for this perfect verse. It's got to be here somewhere that I could show to my parents and say, See, God doesn't want you to make me angry. There it is. I never found it. Never found it. And if I had found Ephesians 6.4, I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't have bothered to read Ephesians 6.1-3. I wouldn't have read those verses because I wasn't actually interested in the obeying and the honoring thing. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to make my own rules. I wanted to go where I, want when I, where I wanted when I wanted to do it. And I wanted to be with who I wanted when I wanted to be with them. And when my parents, who may in fact actually be watching, when they, when they told me that I, I, I couldn't do what I wanted to do, it made me angry. 
But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about the anger of a rebellious, disobedient, or dishonoring son. If a parent is doing his job, that's going to happen sometimes. Paul's not saying that you can avoid your child getting angry for bad reasons. But he is saying that you must work very hard to avoid giving your child good reasons to be angry at you. The anger here, the word that's being used here, is the same word that speaks of God's wrath, His anger. Now, God's anger is always just. It's always appropriate. It's about something that is unjust, about something that is hurtful and wrong. And what, God, what Paul is warning fathers here is do not act in a way toward your children that treats them unjustly, in a way that robs them of dignity, in a way that treats them sinfully, in a way that hurts them, not out of loving discipline, but because it makes you feel better in order to vent. A.T. Lincoln was a, is a British New Testament scholar. He's retired now. But he writes, he, he writes that Paul is effectively ruling out, and I'm going to read this really slowly so you fathers especially, but par- all of you parents can listen very carefully. Paul is saying that fathers should not parent with, listen, excessively severe discipline, unreasonably hard, harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation, and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibility. Do you hear this? Let's go down the list. Excessively severe discipline, punishments that don't fit the crime. Unreasonably harsh demands, demanding something of your child that that child is not capable of doing. Abuse of authority, Go out on the street and beg for drug money for me. Arbitrariness. Changing your mind every other day about what you want your children to do. Unfairness. Favoring one child over another. Constant nagging and condemnation. Telling your children that they're stupid, that they stink, that they'll never amount to anything. It all amounts, as Lincoln says, to an insensitivity to a child's needs and a child's sensibility. And this is where it gets very hard to preach this passage for me, honestly. Because I can intentionally go back through all of those things and I can choose examples that make me look very good. I've never asked my children to beg for drug money for me. Not that kind of dad. Or I distract myself by thinking about other fathers. Did this yesterday even on the baseball field as I saw a coach on another team just berating his son. I'd never do something like that. Can't believe how he screams at his child from the dugout. That's terrible. I would never do such a thing. Really easy to go through and find other people or to find examples and stuff that, you're, that, that don't apply to you. But I feel here, fail here all the time, if I'm honest. And I need to repent. I need to do better. I need help. I need to know my children. I need to know their vulnerabilities, their insecurities, their weaknesses. I need to seek, I, I need to craft my discipline and instruction to who they are. I need to do it consistently, and I need to do it for their good. I need the courage to accept the responsibility of fathering when sometimes I'd rather just check out. I need the security to accept that I might not always be liked, and that it might be years before they actually respect the decision that I've made. And I need to repent. I need to repent to God, and I need to repent to them, not just occasionally, but every time I fail to do, the fa- to do these things to be the father that I should be even when I feel like they should be the ones who are repenting first and repenting more. And to do all those things, I need to keep my eyes on the goal, which is the purpose of the positive command, right? He says the negative command, do not provoke your children to anger, but the positive command, 
that he gives to fathers is to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Bring them up, he says. That's what we're doing as parents. We're raising children. Right? Contrary to what our children may think at times, right, the goal is for them to not stay in their current state of obedience to their parents. Honoring, yes. Honor and respect, yes. That will continue and ought to continue. But the, but the exact same state of obedience is something actually that will end and we want to end in a right way. The goal is for them to get to the place where they are able to make safe, healthy, and wise decisions on their own. But here's the thing. Being out from, un, being out from under my authority in that way does not mean that a grown human is out from under the authority of anyone. In fact, the purpose of parenting is not, right, is not raising children in the discipline and the instruction of me. Did you see what it says? Right? Bring up your children in the, in the discipline and the instruction of you, parents. No, it says bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. When a building is built, when a wall goes up, as it's going up, there's scaffolds, there's supports and stuff that are put in place for that wall as it's going up, as it's being raised. They support the walls. They hold those walls in place while they're still under correction. There's a sense in which that wall is subject to the rules and the constraints of the supports as it's going up. But the goal in raising the wall is that at some point it will be able to stand on its own as part of a larger structure and then the supports come down. But the reason why you need to be so careful in how you build it and how the supports are as it goes up is because when those supports are removed, it's going to be subject to an even greater rule than the rule of the supports. It's going to be subject to the law of gravity. That's a rule that you can't do away with. And if the supports aren't in place as it goes up, and if, it's not, if it doesn't go up correctly, then that greater rule, when the lesser rules are removed, that greater rule will bring it down. You see what I'm saying? The goal of a father's instruction and discipline is to prepare a child for a life in God's world where the greater laws still apply. Where obedience to Him and those greater laws is forever required. And this would be really scary to have this responsibility if I didn't have every reason to trust this God who is giving it to me. No child would have any good reason to obey a parent in the Lord if they didn't have a good reason to trust the God who commands them to obey. And no parent would have any reason to trust <laughs> that his or her ineffective and inadequate efforts to parent would do any good if they don't have good reason to trust the God who commands them to do it. But our God is trustworthy. He is. When Jesus did the will of His Father, He did it in a way that proves we can trust Him. In 1987, there was a terrible plane crash. The plane took off out of Michigan Everyone was killed except one little girl. Her name was Cecilia. She was four years old. And after the takeoff, the story was told that she survived because her mother, as the plane was falling, got up from her seat, got down on her knees in front of her child's seat, and covered the little girl with her body as the plane went down. 
shielding her from the fire. It was reported throughout the media at the time that that's how it happened. It's impossible to prove. Many people have disputed the story. But there was another story that was true of a parent who sent his son to be the sacrifice, of one who was willing to give his body as a covering to the point of death, whose sacrifice is the model for every parent who loves their child and who desperately wants them to survive the fire of this fallen world. When I was telling you about one of my children a little while ago, mercifully the danger to the life of my sick newborn child, the danger was relatively brief in retrospect, nothing compared to what I know some of you have struggled through and endured. But it was enough, just enough, to make a very deep impression on me. Those few nights in the hospital sleeping next to a bassinet, pleading with God to spare your child. And looking back, I realized two things. I realized that my eternal hope as a parent is in the fact that God the Father did not spare the life of His only Son. My my confidence in coming before God, begging Him to spare mine, can only come because God did not spare His. And that gives me eternal hope as a parent. And then I realize as I think about it, that the fire is still real. The danger that our children encounter in this world, the danger that is before them is not a plane crash. (laughs) The danger is not a medical infection that needs an antibiotic. The danger is our sin and the sin of our children that desperately needs forgiveness and desperately needs covering. Children, that is why a relationship with God by believing in Jesus that results in an obedience that proves that you trust Him, that's why it's so important. Because that fire, that danger is real. And that is why, parents and everyone else, why we must keep pleading with God that He would spare our children. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you have done to demonstrate what true, loving fathering is like. Loving us to the point of sacrifice. Lord, we pray that those of us who are parents would love that way. Pray that those of us who are not would see our responsibility in the greater covenant community to support and encourage and welcome the children among us, that we would see as a church the responsibility to raise our children up in the instruction of the Lord. And that is why, Lord, we pray for our children, that they would understand this God who has done this for them, that they would see the danger, that they would run to Jesus, and that they would find Him eternally comforting and safe. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.